Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business podcast, where we talk to interesting people about life and business. We cover their backgrounds, obstacles they've encountered, and find out what drives them. Along the way, our guests share nuggets you can use to drive your success. Reach me directly, D-A-M-O-N at ExitYourWay.us, or check out our website, ExitYourWay.us, for more information. I hope you enjoy our show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pastalka, and with me today, I've got our special guest, Mark Scrementi. Mark, welcome. Thanks, Damon. It's great to be here. Well, man, I am really excited to have you here because we are going to nerd out on e-commerce. We're going to talk about stuff that people, and we're going to talk about scaling an e-commerce business from eight figures to nine. And now, this is cool. You got the experience. You were in there and really putting your back into it and doing it. And I, I'm just, I'm excited to bring, a, you know, to let people hear more about it. I love it. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to, to, yeah. to you about it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Cause so let's start out. Like I always like to with, with guests though. First of all, if you're listening on LinkedIn now or Facebook one of those platforms there, even on Twitter, I can, I can hit you back on Twitter too. But, uh, if you're listening on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter or, or Facebook, let me know where you're listening from. If you got questions for us, do that. Just give us a shout out. We'll get you up on the screen so you can, uh, you can tell us what you uh, want to do. Um, I got a I just got a text from my kid. Sorry, but I had lost focus for a second. My phone popped up and I need to shut the, the margin, the thing off. But so we got, uh, the we're going to be talking about some things. So people about the e-commerce, we're going to start out. Let's talk about your background and let's, let's let people understand a bit more about Mark and how you got into e-commerce. Okay. So that's, uh, that goes back a ways. Um, I started out as a technical writer. That was my, um, my first job. So we're talking like mid nineties. Um, I finished graduate school background in, in, uh, English and a master's degree in professional writing, you know, creative person. What do you, but I have to make a living. So I got into technical writing, which got me into technology, which got me into a consulting agency. Uh, and then the internet, came came around i'm like that is such that's the coolest thing you know like that medium that's where i want to be so as soon as i could i got to an internet startup and this was like the late 90s by now and we were building um a sales uh sales process automation tool and a yeah. number of a number of cool things but um from that experience i got into U U ux you know front-end design and coding uh content management i was always a writer so i did a lot of marketing copywriting and things like that um and I did that for a couple of years. Then I went on my own for four years and I, I built websites. And so I learned how to code. Um, I did all the marketing content and strategy. So it was kind of a one-stop shop for mostly small businesses, nonprofits, solopreneurs. And, you know, I'd get them a, a basic site. I would do the front-end coding. If I needed any heavy-duty back-end coding, I'd hire a real developer. But um, yeah, that's how I got started. And then, you know, in 2006... Um, I was ready to do something at a bigger scale. I felt kind of isolated working alone all the time or working from my apartment all the time, the time we're still in an apartment. 
And uh, a friend of mine was working at this e-commerce company, music company, um, and they were an early pioneer in e-commerce. So they started in 96, um, which was pretty early and, and one of the first in the industry. And at that point, you know, I said, hey, you, you know, you, you think you could use anybody with my background? And he's like, I don't know. And passed my resume on to the CEO. Uh, I talked to the CEO for about three hours. He asked a ton of questions. Within like a week, I was working there. I, he gave me sort of a six-month uh, trial contract, and I seemed to earn his trust. That was an interesting assignment involving a transition, yeah. and um, and then I, you know, and that's that's how I started there. And then later on, I I figured I found out. He told me that he had been looking for a right-hand man. But because uh, he was kind of done with the day-to-day -day operation. So this is the founder CEO I could talk about later. Uh, and then he just kind of threw me at one thing after the other. And I had the chance to grow and try out different things, learn. And um, my responsibility just increased over time. Yeah. Yeah. So you basically kind of started at a ground level and worked your way into more of a like a COO level or something like that in this organization. That's right. That's, That's right. really pretty yeah. incredible, dude. It was it was fun. It was a great opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I think I was fortunate to have the opportunity. It wouldn't happen all the time or in any in every case, but it just it seemed to be a good fit for me. Um and I think what what made that possible for me was a hunger to learn um yeah. and that entrepreneurial spirit. And I got to tell you working for myself was a great setup for this because when you're working for yourself, you know, you got to figure everything out on your own. Uh, I mean, obviously, you're you're drawing on you know friends and and connections for um, as resources, but you know nobody's going to do it but you. And you develop this mindset of like I just, I'm just going to figure it out. I don't know I don't know how to code, but I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to do it. And yeah. so that that's what I brought with me to e-commerce, and I think that really helped a lot because he kind of threw me into things I'd never done before, call center operations. Um, you know, I was doing some things I'd done before, a lot of marketing, uh, creative direction. Um, but, uh, eventually it became, you know, bigger and bigger and it was, you know, stuff that was new to me, but I was willing to do it because I had that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. So moving into this role, then as you saw more and more of the business and, and you're, you're sitting there was, was the growth hard to come by or was it was it kind of one of those things in the beginning where it was just growing so fast you were just trying to keep up no um it was kind of stuck um so just a little company history um you know um again early internet um e-commerce company at that time like in 96 you, you had to have a brick and mortar store to be considered legitimate, you know, so they had a, a brick and mortar store, but their, their long-term play was always to be online. Um, and, you know, had built up the company to 40 million in sales, the founder CEO. Um, but um, the, you know, they got some early funding from Paul Allen. Mm -hmm. um, the CEO was, was a, um, a uniquely talented person, uh, data scientist, um, math and statistics guy. Um, you know, he read a few, books on PHP and then built the first website. Um, not your classic CEO by any means. Wow. Um, and, and, but he was able to build a company up to 40 million, but then it kind of plateaued from there. And he was kind of done with the day-to-day -day operation by the time I got there. And, um, you know, the people stuff he didn't want to deal with. 
and really there was no process in place. There was no structure and process. That's one of the first things I noticed. Um, it was, you know, it was arbitrary, you know, like either the CEO had an idea and we're, we're going to do that thing or somebody else was coming up with an idea, but there was no process in place. So one of the first things I did was introduce agile scrum and I had read about it and I'm, and I'm mm -hmm. like, the whole iterative process made sense to me. Uh, it seems very intuitive. Um, and you know, I'd worked with it previously so I got my scrum master training. I, I became the first scrum master. I got my certification and then, um, you know, eventually handed that off to somebody else. But that, that was a big step in, um, bringing focus and direction, you know, the, the ability to plan, um, and to prioritize work and to estimate ROI and to, you know, look at trade-offs. Yeah. Um, none of that stuff was really formalized and, um, the other thing about this company, since it was an early uh, e-commerce pioneer, is that all the software, all the systems were homegrown, um, and for better and worse. And so, you know, you and I have talked before how there'd be these geological strata of, uh, you know, like tech technical infrastructure, you know, and um, as one regime change, you know, after another, and and it was um, it made it very hard to plug in off-the-shelf products as a result. Um, you know, I, I was, as time went on, this is a little bit further down in the story. I was always looking for opportunities to plug in an off the shelf product and not reinvent the wheel. Yeah. But, but when you've got this system that's cobbled together, um, and it was built around a, an old catalog order processing system called ecometry, um, yeah, so it was like a Franken system with you know a giant octopus with inputs and outputs. Um, you, uh, it's really hard to find you know points of extensibility, you know places to plug in um, off-the-shelf software. Um, yeah. So we ended up building most of the stuff ourselves. Again, really? again for better and worse. But like so, when I when I became the first Scrum Master, like I designed this project management tool, and um, you know as I was thinking about talking to you one thing that came to mind is that, um, you know, now, you know, the industry has matured so much nowadays, there's a tool for that, you know, yes. there's a tool for, for everything. Um, and in, in, in those days, like 2007, there were, there were tools, um, and Jira may have been around in its early stages, for example, but it was just easier for us to create it ourselves. And, and, mm -hmm. it, and, and it was customized for our own purposes. So that kind of helped us with the, with the project process. And then, you know, from there, um, there was a lot of consolidation because we're moving from a catalog mindset to a, a digital marketing mindset. And that was yeah. also a big shift. And, and in this industry, musical equipment, um, it, wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't really an early adapter industry. So they were slow to spend money in, on online advertising. They, they were still spending money in catalogs and, and we were still producing oh. catalogs at the start. So we had, we, and we had two brands, we had two online retail brands uh, and, and the origins of that go back to the fact that um, you, you know, early SEO, SEM, you wanted to be number one and two in the listings. Um, yeah. And it was easier just to create a second website, you know, and even if the content was duplicate and it was, um, and you'd get that one and two bookings, so you'd get them either way. That's that's why that that um, second site came into being. But of course, after over time, 
it didn't work like that anymore. Yeah, you know, yeah. Penalized. We eventually killed that, uh, killed off the second brand, and that was one of the things that that I advocated for too. And um, it, that's probably a recurring theme as I talk about this. Is like you got to know what to kill. Um, you know, if it's not um, if it's not bringing the focus that you that you yeah. need. Um, well, and and you make such a great point about the market and just the the maturity of the industry because you're talking about it's 2007 and eight you know that's that's 13 14 years ago that's you know the market was way 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 different back then i mean you talk about the just the competitiveness of a online retailer is not nothing compared to now right right yeah and you um it doesn't seem that long ago and uh but when you think about it and how much has changed it, it's a long time ago in terms of e-commerce. The, yeah. the, the principles are the same, but uh, again, it's just, it's just more mature and it's more stable too. I mean, we could talk about mm -hmm. that too. Like, you know, the big algorithm changes of 2011 and 2012 for Google, you know, there, there was Panda and Penguin and how that really shook up the, the landscape in terms of SEO. Mm -hmm. You know, the, those, those two changes were meant to, um, get rid of uh content farms and um and black hat linking and uh which were still a thing then so they're you know yeah and, and now that stuff doesn't fly anymore but but that's that's what you're up against and then suddenly you know depending on how you built your uh seo what, whatever your strategy was uh, you might have to redo the whole thing um based on that algorithm change yeah and I, th I think that stabilized more um as the industry's matured. Yeah, I know even even now though it's still though the the algorithm changes will produce quite drastic changes in your in your uh, organic and just your natural flow of traffic to your websites, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean you got to stay on top of it all the time. It's That's for sure. Yeah, that's that's the best way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting stuff. So you you brought up a couple things about knowing when to kill things. We'll talk about that <laughs> that that because I'm sure that as you grow from about forty million to you know three four times that you had to there had to be things like your customer service that and and some of these other places like you know at thirty million you probably could have a, a handful of customer service ten customer service people or whatever it was. But when you get to three, four times that, you you mentioned something before we got on. You said call center. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I mean, how many people? Just just the 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 difference in scale on a on a customer service team from the size at the where you started and where you finished had to be massive. Yeah, it was. Um, and the call center was our biggest team. Um, I think it was maybe thirty five or forty when I started. And and it was over a hundred when it, when I left. Yeah. Um, and we thought it might scale uh, proportionally to revenues, it, it, like one to one, but it, it wasn't exactly that. Um, we were able to gain some efficiencies. Um, but yeah, the call center was interesting because I had never done call center work before. So that was something I, I started out, you know, doing marketing, and we had a content site that that showed. Um, you know, uh, it, it was just a, a music gear content site and had great content on it, had tons of videos. Um, 
you know, product reviews, demos, tutorials, artist interviews, you know, product releases, wow. that kind of stuff. Um, you know, all the creative direction. And then um, I, 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 I introduced agile scrum. That's, that's, you know, I, I mentioned that, that already. Uh, but then I inherited the call center and, and the call center was kind of in disarray. Um, there was high, high turnover, low morale. Um, and so, you know, what I did was just, uh, you know, meet with people, took them out in groups, uh, took them to lunch, just listened, you know, what's, what's working for you, what isn't working for you, you know, how can we help? Um, and then I sat with everybody and I watched what they, what they did, um, in person. And then I, then I looked, uh, at a ton of data. We had, you know, a lot of data to look at. Call center is great for data, lots of metrics. Uh, and then we started making changes. And, and part of that was, um, again, having a lot of homegrown systems, uh, we could make the changes ourselves. So it was, it was changes in process, changes in training. We changed our metric. Um, you know, we had our a metric for measuring, um, you know, performance, um, you know, everything, um, you know, company mission statement, um, customer bill of rights, yeah. um, employee bill of rights. Um, and we saw, um, we saw some definite, definite improvements. Um, we, 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 uh, we changed our uh, progressive discipline policy um, and, and that made a difference too. So like a combination of uh, standardization, we standardized a lot of things, but we also um, had flexibility. So like striking that balance between standardization and flexibility. And over time, you know, we affected a, a real cultural change where the best performers stayed for a long time and they rec they recruited their friends yeah and and you know our, our customer service um uh, ratings were were always outstanding so like we you know we'd win that the biz rate platinum seal of excellence every year and that's yeah. you know the top few percent of people uh, of uh online retailers in north america um i think one big change though um and that was really a big battle to fight was was pay um you know our csrs had not gotten a pay raise in like 10 years uh 10 yeah. 11 years and and they were making 950 per hour base um and you know we didn't we didn't have a commission um uh we did have a bonus structure though and that was based on this metric that had sort of a three three eighths service uh five eighths um sales component to it um and um you know the the owners wanted to see a re, you know immediate return on investment if we were going to raise the um the wage you know like we, we want to see higher net gp per call um can you can you ensure that we'll we'll see that i was like no i can't ensure that but what you know what i can you know what we did end up seeing was just you know much greater stability um higher retention yeah. higher employee satisfaction um we did see increases in, in net gp over time um but um that stability and like you know that the happy employees really um made for better customer service and and then just um i think that that's that was the return that we got from that and it was worth it mm -hmm. um it, you know so it was it wasn't it wasn't as easy as saying look if we could raise the wages you know will everybody perform better what what we yeah. what we ended up doing there was oh. um a lot of cross training we liked utility players mm -hmm. you know so that we could throw people uh 
on a problem as it arose in real time, you know, yeah. overflow calls um, yeah. that combined with specialization. Well, and, and what you're saying though, too, is, and what's, what's often not accounted for as business is the cost of turnover. The cost right. of turnover is huge, but it's real hard to measure, right? right. It, it right. is because you don't have enough customer service people or enough people to take orders. How do you go? Is it lost sales? How do you know? Um, you know, and it's not something that's real easy. And then how, how much do you lose because you're getting people up to speed the first X days, X months and, and all that accounts towards extra costs and lost money, lost productivity that it, it adds up, but it's not easy to add up. Right. Right. On, on in, unemployment insurance taxes. I mean, yep. those multiplied, uh, and, and, um, yeah, just the gap service gap, service level gaps, you know, if, yeah. if you've got 40 people and four people quit, um, you know, in one day you're, you're screwed, you know, when you have a spike and you know, how many, how many lost sales, uh, result of, of that. And, and you, and you can tell, you know, you can look at your abandons. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So now, um, did you. Yeah. Anyway, so you went. I won't. I won't get too deep into the in the customer servicing. I I just think that in e-commerce businesses that the the customer service department, if they're looking at it right, um, is really a sales channel. Mm-hmm. It's a sales channel where somebody wants your product so badly that they they're talking to you, or they've got a problem that if you solve it and do a really good job, you got the you have the opportunity to keep them as a long term customer. Right. And, and I just think it's such a key place. And like you mentioned, a couple things, training and saturnization, actually a few things. And then you add pay because I th- I think and you you ended up saying you said that there there was a uh, incentive based compensation for him, too. Mm-hmm. And, and you you raise the pay because it is such a critical role that we were in a company a few years ago where it literally was almost nothing. Uh, as far as sales in the first um, when we got there and it was two and a half, three million dollars in sales just in comfort service, you know, two years later, 18 months later, something like that, because you just keep refining and training and incentivizing and showing your customer service people how to help people get what they want. Right. And and it really you can turn it into a lot of good revenue. We we found we discovered through you know through trial and error like who were the best salespeople and it wasn't entirely trial and error but um, yeah. and and then you know of course we routed them you know the calls but mm-hmm. um, and then we tried to reproduce what what they did and um, you know a lot of knowledge sharing um, some some people just have the knack and 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 you know uh, our CEO had this idea that if if one person can perform at this level everyone can perform. Oh, that level. Yeah. And I'm like, no, that, that, that's just, that's not true. You know, there's just, there is some art to selling and some gift, you know, we can, we can try and we can try and spread that knowledge out as much as possible. But, yeah. um, but it, it is, you know, th- these are not machines. Um, it is. That's for sure. It is. And, and your training can only go so far and, and the people themselves take it from there. And mm-hmm. there's some people who are just better at it than others. Well, that's right. cool. So now, in this business, did you have product on site then? Did you have warehouses or multiple warehouses or how did that work? We had multiple warehouses. Yeah. Um, three. Yeah. Okay. How many we, square feet approximately? Uh, 
I, I don't know. They were, they were large. We had one in New okay. Jersey, one in, one in um, Mississippi outside of Memphis and one in um, Las Vegas. Okay. So, so you hit Reno. across, you hit across the, across the country like that to get faster deliveries. Right. Right. Yeah. So our, our delivery, like we had 96% of the country covered on two day um, ground. Yeah. Uh, so our, our, um, our shipping was really outstanding. And that was actually became a big selling point for us. You know, people, yeah. we, we could get stuff there within two days for most people without, without extra cost. Yeah. Well, and that's a big deal. I mean, you look at today that at, uh, Amazon prime, how much money do they, do they invest in setting it up to get stuff there the next day or the day after it's a huge thing in, in e-commerce. And as you grow and scale like that, those multiple warehouses really allow you, like you said, you're 96%. Uh, second day across the United States, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a big deal, especially yeah. when you can say that. Right. Right. Yeah. And your customers get used to it too. And then somebody else trying to get into it and you go, oh, it's going to be five, six days. They think it's, it's the end of the world. Right. Right. And they won't buy from them. Well, that's cool. Cool. So when, when you were looking at the business overall and you were sitting, you know, you kind of getting going down the road here. What were some of the biggest structural challenges? I mean, because you got I just I'm trying to imagine when you go three, four times larger like that. Did you have like, you know, a department that was under one person? And it was fine. A couple departments. Then all of a sudden you grew and now you had to have multiple people managing and again, and multiple people managing where you have managed before. Or were you able to keep the, the structure still really flat as you grew? The structure stayed pretty flat. Um, at some point, um, we moved up, you know, so, so like created an extra layer of management. Yeah. Um, and so I had three directors reporting to me, okay. um, there, there were just two, two VPs who reported to the CEO, mm -hmm. me and, uh, the VP of it yeah. who also, so, you know, he was, he was, uh, sysadmins, uh, developers, and the data science team also reported to him. Um, and and um, there are reasons why. So I'm, you know, very much uh, tried to break down silos as much as possible. Like going going back to the call center, um, we banned the word department, you know, mm -hmm. um, so that people couldn't say, well, you know, the returns department is on lunch break right now. Like that doesn't exist. Like um, if, if the returns department or the returns people aren't there, then you you take the call, you know. And um, so, um, yeah, one of the silos that did exist, though, was with data science, which um, is another subject that we can talk about. But um, in terms of answering your questions, uh, sub, uh, in terms of the structure, um, I think that the, the structure changed organically um, and, and grew organically. So, for example, with the project team, um, you know, at first I was the scrum master and I was also designing uh, products, you know, writing requirements. And then I started hiring people to do that. You know, so I hired a, a UX person. I hired a couple business analysts. We, we brought people uh, up through the organization to serve in some of those roles. Um, so it started as, you know, um, you know, I would fill in, you know, the CEO would fill in at times. And then we started to, we started to build a team and a department. I mean, in, in that, in that sense or a team, yeah, a team. Yeah. Um, and, uh, same thing with, uh, 
marketing, uh, we had this that content side I mentioned, but it wasn't making any money, you know. So it was so eventually that you know that's something else I killed. They just kind of folded that um, production capacity and that talent into the digital marketing team, um, and and used that talent on the retail sites. Um, so, for example, like with a content set, we had we were producing at at our peak fifteen pieces of content per day. So, you know, three or four videos, and the rest were print pieces. But you know, we we developed this really productive content machine. Um, but you know, that content was expensive. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, there's there's the gear, um, the the cameras, the the mics. Um, you know, all that stuff, but plus the labor, just the labor is expensive. So, mm-hmm. you know, to me, it didn't make sense to be spending all that, um, that money on something that wasn't making money. And we tried to monetize the content site, but in the, you know, again, in our industry, nobody was buying, um, uh, online ads. It just, there wasn't much of a, an appetite for it. So, um, in bringing that team together, so, you know, what we found was that we had a lot of the, um, sort of, you know, right people, wrong seats, some of the wrong seats, you know, some of the wrong people. And, and this is especially early on. So we had to, we had to, um, you know, if we could retrain somebody, we would, you know, we had to let go of some people, we let go of some people. But, um, you know, for example, early on, we had merchandisers, we had product merchandisers, who, you know, knew their, um, their, their categories, their product, you know, guitars, drums, uh, DJ equipment, mm-hmm. bass, but they were working in these, you know, these very long, you know, hundred page uh, spreadsheets, you know, a mapping keywords, you know, to uh, product pages. And it's like, they hated it. They weren't good at it, you know, and this is something that can be, and was eventually automated. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'm like this, that's, and then they were catalog focused still, you yeah. know, so, so what we needed, you know, like, again, with this content team, we need people who could write, like, uh, write for, uh, like, online SEO friendly copy, and who also had product knowledge, but they could also do other things like write SEO copy, um, which can be taught to some extent. Um, certainly SEO writing can be taught. Writing in itself is is a little bit more of a talent, I think, but um, you know, you need some, you need some visual skill. If you're working yeah. with, with the, uh, you know, designers to, to build, um, sales guides and, and landing pages and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. The, I uh, just checking out somebody put some comments on, on LinkedIn there, but, uh, the, uh, yeah, it is. You, you, you bring up a good point in there. And just like you mentioned that the, the, just keeping your pages and i can't even imagine this because you're talking about on a system that probably was pretty manual that's that's uh you're trying to keep your your seo working right and and your keywords and just really that had to be a ton of work for people how many pages did the website have well we had we had or pro excuse yeah you? we we had more like uh, like 12 to fifteen thousand SKUs. okay so that's you a know, better way to say it. Yeah. yeah. So that's right. Um, it was a sprawling website. I mean, it was. Oh, yeah. Was yeah. Big. That is. That is. That is. That is. We've got a few um, clients have had not quite that. And then I've got some that, that are resellers that are over 100K. And that's that's uh, that's a different ballgame, though. You were 
you're with individual and, and, and this kind of products. I got to imagine you, you talk about this before you and I had talked about this before the, the growth of the company, as you were going through it, were there, there are things that you found in the industry and you go, wow, this is something that well, if we do this, we really could grow differently or grow longer. Uh, you and I talked about financing and kind of mm. how that helped you really launch the company right. and, into, into growth. Explain that a little bit and kind of how you got into that and figure, I mean, just came around to that. Sure. Yeah. So financing was really the biggest driver of our growth. Um, we, um, you know, we had, we had a good credit, uh, we had a good credit line and, and a good relationship yeah. with the bank. We paid our bills on time. I had a good controller and a good CFO. Um, and, um, and so, um, you know, we were the only company, nobody out there was offering, um, just straight old payment plans. So we, yeah. um, you know, and so what we started offering were these no, um, no interest payment plans. Um, and, um, now other, our competitors, you could get a house credit card. You know, if you went to a guitar center for, for example, who's the 800 pound gorilla in the industry, yeah. you, know, you could, you could apply for a, a house credit card and there's a 70% rejection rate. Um, and then, you know, if you get the card, if you're lucky enough to get the card, um, you know, they'll give you these, these 12, 24 and 36 month, um, you know, interest-free offers. But if you, you know, if you're late on a payment or, or if you fail to make a payment, then you have this retroactive interest at 30% oh, wow. APR. So, you know, a lot of people end up spending a lot more than they intended when yeah. they use that credit card. What we were offering was different and it was, you know, basically it's like an old fashioned payment plan, um, installment plan. Um, so, you know, we had four, we, ex, we did a ton of experimentation. So we you know, did four, six, eight, 10, 12, and even eventually 18 payment plans. Um, you know, the, the longer the plan, the greater the risk, of course, because you're getting, yeah. getting that fraction up front. So, um, and we had, we had them set on different price ranges, um, different product, uh, you know, compositions, different brands, um, you know, the higher end brands got the longer payment plans. Uh, and in some cases we could even get a, um, you know, those brands to chip in, you know, like to kick yeah. back a percentage because it really did juice the sales a lot because people, you know, this is a passionate, you know, these are serious hobby, obvious. They're passionate about music. It's a lifetime hobby and it's an expensive hobby if you get into it. And, um, and, you know, the, these musicians will have, um, you know, dream instruments, but let's, let's just say a Gibson guitar, Gibson Les Paul guitar, uh, which is a really nice guitar. And, you know, maybe it's $1,200, but they're not going to have $1,200 at once in their pocket to spend, especially on a guitar, you know, maybe mm -hmm. ever, but they can afford the hundred dollars a month. And so, you know, this was a hypothesis. I, I can't take credit for that. That was our CFO in, in, um, in New Jersey, um, who, you know, thought of it, but we had to launch that program and we had to, um, test it. And we didn't, you know, when I think back, you know, everything seems obvious in retrospect, but you know, we didn't know if it was going to work. Um, yeah. you know, we, we thought, you know, it, it's extremely risky. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and are other people going to copy this and you know, how we, who, who, which of our competitors are most likely to do that? How likely are they to do that? And so forth. And how do we, you know, how do we keep from losing 
our ass, you know, in bad debt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, we figured if you've got these, let's just say if you got a mar enough margin to work with, let's say, you know, you're in the 30, 40%, whatever that margin mm -hmm. is, um, you know, if you can afford a certain percentage of bad, you, you can, you can afford a certain percentage of bad, yeah. bad debt and you have to expect that it's going to happen. Um, you know, there's, um, a lot, you know, a, a significant amount of it comes from, you know, what's essentially fraud, like the one announced people who pay you that first payment and they never come back. They never intend yeah. to come back. But there's also an even larger percentage of those, you know, people who just kind of they make it, you know, three quarters of the way through and then they can't they can't finish. Something comes up in their lives and, and they're not able to pay you. They may they they want to pay you. They, yeah. they may, may intend to pay you. So we, we kind of worked with them. Um, you know, we were we developed very flexible collections um system but but in terms of uh departmental growth or or team growth um you know by the time i left 20 out of those 100 people in the call center were in, in collections or accounts mm -hmm. so um you know there's a lot of risk in that plan and so you really have to establish a, a model um and you know collections is kind of um can only be so successful. And, and that's why we call it accounts because most people really did want to pay us back and they're probably paying us back before they're paying their utility bill because they can't get the steal anywhere else. And, and they just love, um, you know, they love this program. They love to be able to yeah. play it and they want to get there. But, um, um, anyway, sorry, I, I lost my train of thought there. Um, well, we were talking about, you're talking about this. I, I, cause I think that the one thing that's really interesting now is you are on the leading edge of this. There, there, I mean, now the payment plans and e-commerce is really common because people have seen the increase in sales, but you're one of the leaders and you guys did it on your own dime too, didn't you? Right. It wasn't using an outside company because right. now everybody under the sun, brick and mortar and online has it. And it's outside companies that provide right, like it. Right, a firm. Yeah, yeah, firm provides a nine out of ten because, like uh, Joseph Stepke that I know, he 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 helps tons of people do that with the the credit uh, through I think it's a SEMA or something like that. This mm -hmm. company name that that does that, but I think it's really interesting that you guys saw the opportunity, developed the opportunity, and then it really drove the growth because you knew how much that really helped your customers the good customers right because there's always going to be some like you said that couldn't afford it or didn't intend to afford it we're going right. to do whatever but your customers i assume that that had to really drive some loyalty because they knew then when they bought this guitar and they got that guitar and they wanted something else for that guitar they could come back and get a really nice amp and do a similar thing and afford it yeah absolutely absolutely um and um, it, so, you know, average orders, uh, values doubled, um, wow. uh, repeat buying rates, uh, went up. Um, so, uh, you know, word of mouth advertising was, was great. And so all of that, you know, changes everything. And it, it certainly changes our customer acquisition strategy too. And, and our, like from an SEM standpoint, yeah. um, it really changes that equation because now, um, I mean, the word, all of that lowers your customer acquisition cost. Yes, 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 exactly. I mean, you're driving people to you because you're doing exactly what they need. Right. And they keep coming back and they, and they would, they would keep coming back as long as we had what they needed. And that's, yeah. that's the, the feedback we got. So, um, I mean, it was, it was tricky that we, we would let off the reins and we kind of test things out. 
you're always trying to, you know, ferret out like kind of pockets of bad debt. We developed a very yeah. sophisticated model, um, you know, the, the 35 different variables. But but as it turned out, you know, especially because we were um, lending to, um, you know, people, you know, with credit scores in the 500s, um, mm -hmm. sometimes the low 500s, you know, that 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 was uh, you can reduce the risk if you're only lending to people with 700 credit yeah, scores yeah. or above. But, you know. Uh, that wasn't most of our customer base, but um, you know we found that the way they they performed with us was ended up being the the biggest predictor predictor of future um, you know reliability in terms of paying back payment plans. In other words, once they get into the system, as long as they pay you, I, you know I call, sort of called it like this path to um, citizenship, or you know I mean yeah. if you know where where you may you may be coming in with like no credit score or very low credit score and but but your credit with us becomes really good i don't care you know about what the it is with anybody world, else yeah. because you're 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 um you know because they're paying us back so that that was um largely the case but you know and then as you get as you scale up you're like hmm you know maybe we could afford four percent bad debt you know because the numbers get so big yeah you know but but you know that's dangerous they be, can become a slippery slope you know yeah and you really got to catch it on the front end is, is what i was trying to say like and that's where the model comes in because you know by the time it gets to collections it's most of that is lost especially at 60 days you know like at yeah. 60 days you know you may as well write it off and, and the collections agency isn't going to do anything for you yeah we, wow, yeah. I, I just I said I really think that, and when you think about the number of dollars that drove, that's really pretty amazing. That that you know that you really supercharge your growth by by financing to meet your customers' needs. That's that's something. So, and you mentioned you touched on this a little bit uh, about um, SEO, SEM, and that kind of stuff. So, so was the company spending a lot in pay per click during this time, or was it? Was it, you know, you were word of mouth and SEO juice got you there? No, the company was still spending a lot. I mean, the the percentage um, declined um, over time. So if you, um, you know, when I first started, um, from when I first started to when I ended, um, it, it ended up being about half. But, you know, so, so let, let, let's just, let's just say, you know, to grow the company, like going back uh, to an earlier stage, you know, we were spending, you know, approximately nine to 10% of yeah. revenue yeah. Uh, on, on SEM. And, you know, that number gradually decreased because of these, these other things that we're talking about, as well as because of learning, you know, and just. Yeah figuring out, you know, um, how to spend your dollars more effectively. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, we tried all kinds of things uh, in terms of, of SE, SEM, you know, all the different products. Um, you know, it's really driven by Google, as you know. I mean, there are plenty of other options earlier on. AdRoll, all these companies that have kind of come by the wayside or fallen by the wayside. But um, maybe they're yeah. still around, I don't know. Well, and, and you know, I mean just just the pure magnitude of trying to manage the amount of campaigns and the amount of things that you're trying to do on a, a, a marketing and and it had to be quite a job and and you're thinking back you know the tools recently have gotten more sophisticated and then we have the whole 
you know, we can talk about Apple for a second, but that's, that's a whole nother can of words. But, but in those, in, you know, five, six years ago, the tools weren't nearly as, as sophisticated or seven years ago or however long ago it was, they weren't nearly as sophisticated as they are now. Right. Well, for, yeah, for us, um, you know, I, I think, um, we did a lot, you've got to spend to learn. And that's, that's one of yeah. the things that we yeah. realize. And sometimes even you, I mean, you, you can waste a lot of money on SEM. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. You, oh, you super can, fast. You, you can waste a ton. I mean, now like six, about 60% of our new customers came from, from Google. So, you know, it was a great source of customer wow. acquisition for us. Um, but, um, you know, what you're trying to do is, you know, figure out like increasingly better estimates for what each keyword or ad is worth. And then, you know, adjusting your spend on that. And, you know, you've got to have clear business goals. Um, yeah. And in, you, you also cannot um, take Google's word for anything. No. And, and you have to understand that they're, they're optimized for their own profitability. They're not necessarily optimized for your profitability. There will be times when when the two are in alignment, but but by there are certain tools for you know by default like certain ad products for which the default is let let's say to optimize for clicks, yeah. But you, but you're paying for clicks. You know what you yeah. really want is to optimize for conversion, yeah. and yet uh, and and that that may be a setting. In some cases, it's a setting that you can change. You know because they're auto optimized. Oh yeah. Yeah. But but if you don't know that, if you're not aware of that, you're 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 paying for the wrong thing and you're wasting yeah. your money. Um, another another challenge that we faced was, um, you know, eighty percent of our, um, so yeah, we had hundreds we had hundreds of campaigns, you know, with, with oh, yeah. fifteen thousand yeah. SKUs. Uh, we had millions of keywords, literally, literally millions of keywords. Wow. Um, but uh, about eighty percent of our budget was on long tail keywords versus yep. like fat head terms and we didn't we didn't bother spending on the fat head terms because they were too expensive like yeah like you know gibson guitars or something um plus the 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 long tail you know terms are a better indicator of intent to buy you know it's yeah. like more researched um it's a strong signal of intent um yeah yeah you're right it's just what you're saying is 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 so true in these type of accounts because you have to you you're that continual process of refining you had to use a lot of data data mining and data analytics to go okay this is this keyword and this is what it drove and this key and this phrase and how much it did and then really understanding like you said the 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 value of a keyword phrase and make sure you're you're buying it for the right amount of money Right, right. And a lot a lot of people, you know, this is like where you know having basic data science uh understanding is is extremely important for e-commerce. A lot of people don't really get sample size uh errors, you know. Like they they'll have, you know, um a product out there and and you know, it gets five clicks and 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 one person buys, they're like, "Wow, there's a 20% conversion rate." You know, but that's just not enough data to draw that conclusion and you know, that's how you can also how you can spend a lot of money. You can waste yeah. a lot of money that way. Um, and, and, you know, one of the problems that we had with all these long term, uh, long tail keywords is that um, is a paucity of data, you know. Um, so you end up having to 
you know, some of these, they don't, they don't get clicked on that often. Um, yeah. And you want, you know, at least, like at least a hundred clicks or something to, to yeah. before you start drawing any conclusions. And so we, you have to put them in a bucket of like products and yeah. then you, and then you aggregate the clicks and you, and you bid on that level and you continue to refine that. That's another thing that you have to wow. wor work on. Um, and, and the other thing is that you, and maybe this is obvious to people, but, um, you know, what, what is your strategy? Like, how much are you going to spend? Like, what is, what is like on customer acquisition? And, you know, one thing that worked for us is, first of all, you gotta, um, you gotta know what the lifetime value of, um, a product, well, of a customer is based on what they buy Yeah. to, to the extent that you can figure that out. Yeah. Um, and you know, if like we were willing to spend basically our, our profit margin, uh, up to our profit margin on the first sale to acquire a customer. So, you know, if we could break even on, on that first sale to yeah. acquire a customer, it makes sense, especially if what they bought indicates that their lifetime value is going to be really high. So like, for example, we wouldn't spend a lot of money on beginner guitar kits and any yeah. keywords, you know, um, related to that because, um, you know, typically beginner guitar kits are played for three months and then there's, there's st stuffed underneath the batter yeah, in the closet. And never touched again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, very different if the first product they buy from you is a, is a $1,200 Gibson Les Paul and, and, you know, the, the lifetime, that potential lifetime value of that customer is much higher. So, yeah. um, you know, you got to be thinking in those, in those terms. Yeah, man, this, this is incredible, dude, because you, you, you've, I, I hope that people that have listened to this that are listening now and listen to it and on and off if, have, have really uh, tried to uh, been able to understand the depth of this because the stuff that you learned in this in this experience is invaluable going forward with with e-commerce people because I mean, there, the one of the things that we found in the in the work that we've been doing, and and I've really only been in e-commerce for about six years now, and is that there is really no good education for e-commerce. And then you go, do it. yeah, you have to do it exactly. So you have yeah. to fumble your way and bust your way through it. There's some people that have been in it long enough, like yourself, and others that 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 really they've learned by banging their head in the wall and by refining and doing that stuff. But there's not a fact, or, you know, a school somewhere that's pumping out the best e-commerce people in the world for really much of anything. Right. And, and people that have your knowledge level in the, in the industry are very rare. And, and it's, it's, I, that's why I get so excited when I talk to you because the, you could tell the depth of your knowledge and the things that you're talking about. Like when you, we talk about correlating the purchase that they made to how much, you know, you're going to spend for the keywords that drew them in based on the, you know, it's just, that's, that's crazy cool stuff that you have to get into if you want to really know what you're doing in, in a, in a e-commerce business that's big. Right, right. Attribution models, you know, yeah. like, you know, how do you, you want a distributed model, right? Um, yeah. It's so you, cool. Yeah. There's, so I mean, cool. there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of technical stuff that in the, in it, it changes and you got to stay on top of it. You need dedicated people. And that's kind of like, you know, when you talked earlier about, um, you know, the changes in structure and stuff, we moved more from like 
we were all doing it ourselves to kind of, you know, building small teams to take care of it. That was kind yeah. of the main um, movement over time. Yeah. Well, you have to, cause you have to have more specialists. Yeah, you do. Like, like SCM, you need, you know, you have a little team, you know, at least, yeah. but, but I, you know, we, we brought everything in the house, like SEO, you know, uh, here's the other thing too, like Google, like spending 5 million, <laughs> spending 5 million a year or whatever. Um, you're small time for Google. Like, that's a small yeah. account. Yeah. What you're going to get is you're going to get a rep, uh, who's like straight out of college, surely bright and charming and they've been trained, but they don't, they don't know your business at all. <laughs> they and can't they, help you. And they may not, they don't even know Google that well. They don't even know their own tools that well. You know, so you, you it's best to learn it yourself. And, and, and most of the stuff is not rocket science, but it's complex enough and it changes enough that, that you need somebody who's dedicated to stay on top of it as it yeah. evolves. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, it's the people that are in it it's a daily and hourly kind of thing. Almost. If you're launching new campaigns, it's significant amounts of money that can, if you, if it's not done right, can go like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we had a case where uh, uh, we forgot to shut off a campaign once and we, we burned $40,000 in one day, <laughs> <laughs> but we learned a ton from it because we got a ton of clicks, you know, and that, that's the thing. It's like, you know, that, 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 that lean, um, the lean startup thinking, you know, like everything yeah. is a learning experience. There's no failure when everything yeah. is a learning experiment because you yeah. just learn from it and you pivot and you, and you move on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Well, and so let's, let's, that's great talking about your e-commerce experience. So, and so now what you're doing, you, you're a fractional COO for people now. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how you're helping people today and, and do that. Thanks. I appreciate that. So today I am, yeah, I'm working as a fractional CMO and I've been, um, I've got one, you know, steady client that takes up at least half my time and I'm looking for other clients. Um, but I'm looking at, you know, visionary CEO, CEOs um, who need help on the, you know, strategy and execution side um, and or, you know, businesses could be family businesses that have kind of, they're looking to grow, but they've kind of reached, uh, you know, the ceiling of what they can do on their own. And they, they need some executive level, some experienced executive level guidance or, or help. Um, but they can't afford necessarily to pay full time for a, yeah. a CEO or whatever, you know, and that's okay. You know, I, I can work you know, like one day a week, you know, two days yeah. a week. Uh, you know, one, you know, two days a month, whatever it may be. But I think, um, you know, especially in e-commerce, so it happens that my, my, my one client is not an e-commerce client, yeah. uh, but I'm, I'm itching to get some e-commerce clients because I think I can help a lot, you know, just a broad perspective and, and really got my hands into a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm enjoying it and, uh, I, um, yeah, the business I'm working for, it's, it's, it's kind of a social enterprise and I like that aspect of it too. Um, yeah. but, um, I'm eager to, you know, see what else I, I who else can I might be able to, to help. You can yeah. add to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome, Mark. Well, how, how can people get a hold of you? Um, LinkedIn is always great. I'm, I'm okay. on LinkedIn. Um, 
All right. I, I could give my email address, but yeah, I, I think I think LinkedIn's probably LinkedIn. So they'll hit you up on LinkedIn, Mark, yeah. and that's all I'll do. You're you're mentioned in this comment or in this post already where it will be live for as long as they keep it up. And then right. we'll also have your bio in in the blog post on our website. So people can get a hold of you there. And if people can't find you, they can always talk to me because I don't have no one else with my name in the world. So if they can't find me, I don't know what. You are unique. <laughs> yeah, I guess, or something like that. But anyway, thanks again, Mark Scramenti. Oh, my pleasure. Being on the faces of business again. It was so cool. I, I've just, man, I know we could geek out here for hours on e-commerce stuff because we didn't even touch half the stuff we were talking, we were thinking about because, you know, you talk about the scaling of systems and, and, you know, get into your data science. That's just so cool, man. But thanks so much. I, I, we could go on for hours. We'll do Hopefully we'll do it again. <laughs> we'll do it again. We'll figure out another topic that we'll do and we'll go again. But hey, I want to say thanks. Gail Robertson Thank you, coming out of uh, Canada's saying she's, She's coming in late, but going back and listen, Gail, you're going to get a dose of e-commerce. That's what you're going to get. <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, but thanks so much, Mark. Thanks, David. Have a great rest of your week, everyone. And we will be back again tomorrow. With, with Tomorrow morning, we've got our exit your way roundtable. And then tomorrow afternoon, I'm speaking with, and as usual, I forgot who I'm speaking with tomorrow. But it's going to be good. It'll, it's going to be good. That's what I always say. And honest to God, every time I, I have I, my brain just goes blank. But anyway, have a great day, everyone. Mark, thanks so much. We're dropping off right Thank now you, and have a great rest of the day, everyone. All right.